This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon. It's Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. It is the final Earth Matters show for 2022. And I have with me today Wong Siu Lin and Lao Yaohua, the co-founders of environmental journalism portal Makaranga. So usually, of course, you know, we do a roundup of some of the big environmental news of the month, uh, you know, during the last sort of Monday of the year. But today what we're going to do is we're going to cover some of the big stories that Makaranga covered throughout the year on their portal. Uh, and we're going to go through everything from, I think, African swine fever right up to call restoration. Welcome both of you. How are you today? Fine, thank you. Hi, thanks for having us. Yeah, I hope everyone has had a uh, you know, safe and a uh, wonderful holidays. Yeah, so right at the end of the year, guys, we've been doing this. I can't even remember how many years we've been doing this for. Has it been two years already now? Feels like three. Yeah, I think a couple of years. A couple of years? A couple yes. of years, I think, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. And uh, of course, you know, you guys have helped us cover so many different uh, topics, you know, uh, both local and international. But for this roundup, you know, I wanted to do a focus on some of the stories that you guys covered, which we didn't necessarily cover on Earth Matters, uh, you know, that you covered on Makaranga. So um, there are, there were several series that you guys covered. Uh, I think let's start off with the Tanah Aya series, uh, which we did speak about a little bit, right, Sulin, uh, together with uh, Dr. Ng Chin and Afendi Yang Amri. Uh, this was uh, just a few months ago. And that was um, a project that looked at how governance in Malaysia is impacting humans and nature, right? As well as the related concerns and actions. Can you remind us about that? Sure. So Tana Aye is a series that uh, basically looked at covering the three big issues uh, related to environment and climate in Malaysia. Uh, and the reason how we came up with that is by actually asking experts as well as uh, sort of digging into our own knowledge and, and, you know, having kept an eye on what's been going on in the news. Uh, I actually do want to return to the topic that we did cover uh, for the previous uh, Earth Matters podcast, mm. and that is actually food security. And I think the reasons are pretty obvious. Uh, GE15 uh, was actually called the cost of living elections. Yeah, mm-hmm. It was also called the Indi Banjir elections. Now, that's very interesting because the two are actually linked. Cost of living and floods caused by climate change are actually quite linked in terms of uh, the impact of climate change on cost of living, the impact of climate change on floods, uh, and also quite pertinent would be uh, infrastructure as well as policy. So because we've just we've got a new government in place, uh, let me start off with policy and what I you've had people on to talk about the hopes and yeah. dreams for this new government and yeah. all the different ministries. Yeah. But let's look at cost of living specifically, right? Now it is a, definitely a priority for the new government because uh, we have been struggling with cost of living all this time. Now um, I think it is uh, evident that they are committed to addressing cost of living if ministry name changes are anything to go by. So we actually have, right, we actually have the Ministry of Domestic Trade and Cost of Living now. I think it's quite important to show priority by the government. Likewise, climate change is actually a priority for the new government. So for the second time in Malaysia's history, we do actually have climate change in the name of a ministry, which is the, of course, the Natural Resources, Environment and Climate Change Ministry. So I think that bodes well in terms of intention, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, key to cost of living concerns is food security. Uh, food security, uh, food prices is actually uh, are actually a key driver of inflation in Malaysia, right? Um, and it will continue to be critical in the coming year. So let's look at some statistics. The Department of um, Statistics Malaysia in November said that food prices had in Malaysia risen by 7.1% year on year. Okay, in October. Yep, that's quite a lot, right? 
and actually in August, it was even higher. It had risen by 7.2%, right? Um, now we look at uh, the, the staple, which is rice. So rice, bread, and other cereals actually rose by even more, 7.3%. Okay, so we're looking at, at something pretty difficult that, that needs to be addressed uh, pretty urgently, right? And so yet another ministry uh, which shows again commitment would be the Ministry of Agriculture and Food Security. So I think this bodes well. I, I, they have uh, there have been some statements saying that the ministries are going to work together, and that's always very key to governance. Yeah. yeah. So um, in coming back to the Tana I series, we did look at the intersection of food and climate in um, in one piece, right? Mm-hmm. Um, our, our writer Lee Kwai Han examined the impact on rice production and on farmers by climate change. Yeah. Now Malaysia, we have twelve greeneries. These are the large sort of areas schemes, um, and it's definite that temperatures have risen in three of the main greeneries, which produce 60% of rice in Malaysia. Okay, so what are the impacts of climate change? It has impacted rain, which is absolutely critical for agriculture for paddy, right? Uh, it has uh, caused droughts and floods, which have affected the yield, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, there's actually a prediction that in the highest yielding greenery in Malaysia, the yield could drop by 30% in 2030 compared to 2014. Now that's in eight years' time. Yeah. So this is all predictions. This is kind of known. Scientists have been modeling. So it's, you know, what do you do with this information? I think is the question that we, we need to be asking, right? And um, then we look at the farmers, the frontliners of uh, rice production, right? There are about 58,000 farmers in Malaysia uh, in, in terms of rice, right? And they're suffering. It's really hard to work in extreme heat, right? The heavy rain and the wind flatten the crops. They call it padi rabah, right? So that reduces the harvest size and also the quality. So they can't even sell the, the grain at the prices that they should be getting, right? Yeah. Then when you have floods, they destroy the fields. You don't even need big floods. You just have lots of small floods and numerous floods, and then you have to start all over again. Mm. Yeah, and, and you know, all this like um, as our own rice supply oh yeah uh, if, uh, if, if you can hear the violin in the back yeah enjoy that uh, that's my uh, um, wife recording her violin anyway so uh so something more serious than violin um, music is you know yeah right so you know as our own as drought you know threatens our own rice production right and and it's um it's, it's worth bearing in mind that of course we are not the only one and uh i'm the only country that's you know, suffering from this. Um, so it, it's really a question of how we are able to react to it and that put us uh, in a better security or in a better position compared to the other countries. Like if, in this year, right, because of the U- Ukraine uh, uh, war, you know, wheat prices have really um, escalated. And then countries worldwide have been buying up rice as a substitute for wheat. And even countries like Indonesia has been hoarding uh, rice, uh, buying it from you know other countries to to build up the supply, and you know Thailand has been a beneficiary of this uh, escalated demand for rice, and that's pushed up rice prices. So you know worth bearing. Uh, Kwai Han in her story she reported that uh, Malaysia imported I think about forty four percent of our rice supply in twenty twenty one. So you know. Yeah, where does that leave us in the future if our you know if our farmers cannot produce as much more and prices increase, right? I think like seven percent, right? That you said just yeah. now the mm-hmm. the inflation of our food. Yeah, I think yeah, it just sounds like all bad news all over. Yeah. 
Yeah, I also want to point out another thing that I think people forget <laughs> when you talk about rice production, uh, production and agriculture. Uh, and it's basically infrastructure. So just like in, in terms of floods, we have to really look at the infrastructure, right? Uh, likewise with agriculture and with uh, with paddy, right? So storms destroy infrastructure for drainage and irrigation, right? When you have floods, heavy storms, uh, that sort of thing. So we badly need to audit the infrastructure for, for rice production, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So uh, Madaab in Kedah, right? Uh, they say that they have been looking at water management, flood, flood routing, you know, they're using remote telemetry systems that collect real-time data on hydrology, right? Uh, and also that this is, they hope the system is uh, warning farmers about rainfall, incidents of pests and disease, you know? So, but I think infrastructure is something that badly needs attention. Mm -hmm. And I think quite hopeful, right? I mean, there's been a lot of attention uh, being focused on food security, on the plight of the farmers as well, uh, you know, by the current prime minister. So I think there is some hope that, you know, these things will be uh, looked into. Um, but just moving on to our, uh, to the second topic that you guys, well, uh, this is not in uh, any sort of like uh, order, but there was, uh, Suleen, I think you covered a huge thing on African swine fever, isn't it? I mean, I think this was back in February. Uh, you did a, a piece uh, together with with another journalist, of course, um, uh, about how African swine fever devastated wild pig populations in Sabah. There was a two-parter, if I'm not mistaken, on the sort of impact of the disease, right? Can you remind us about that? Sure. So uh, African swine fever actually, well, there is actually a connection to rice and actually did affect uh, uh, or is actually affecting uh, food security as well in terms of pork supply. Now, you might think that Malaysians actually, it's only the non-Muslims um, who eat pork, right? But actually pork is extremely important to the people of uh, Sabah and Sarawak. The indigenous, different indigenous communities, uh, pork is important in terms of food uh, supply as well as for traditions, you know. Mm. So we certainly had in uh, Sabah when we covered this, so it was uh, Kimberly True, she's a, she's a young, she was a young writer with us as well and, and because it was COVID, she couldn't travel to Sabah. So we had uh, the photographer who became a researcher as well, and Elvin Chang, uh, sort of helping out uh, on the Sabah side, right? And and so he went to uh, all the different sort of areas where, where uh, you know, traditional Karazan, Dusun, Murut um, communities were, like, what, what's happening with them in terms of ASF? Now, just a note about ASF, um, African swine fever does not affect humans, but what it does is it, it spreads very quickly amongst pig populations. And these are wild pigs as well as domestic pigs. And and so basically um, what's happening is in January, when the story came out, um, it had been one year since ASF had been detected, right? But there was very little data about it. And basically we, we had trouble getting data for it as well, you know, because it was sensitive, because it had to do with food supply, and because it was COVID, people just couldn't go out and, and sort of determine where the pigs were that, that were dying and how many pigs were dying, you right. know. Yeah. Um, but what happened was definitely there was a lot of culling going on uh, in commercial farms. Um, again, data not very obvious um, in that, yeah. So, ah. mm -hmm. uh, Yoho, anything you wanted to add to that? Yeah, on this issue, right, I was in Kelantan um, when, uh, a few months ago. Uh, earlier this year or, or maybe like yeah, a few months ago and yeah so the Oran Asli they were telling me that uh, just casually you know as we're talking about forest laws and they were telling me that yeah we have seen uh, wild pigs you know um, dying uh, in clusters oh, and gosh. then and, and so because we were talking about water source you know they were saying that with the forest laws it affects their water supply right 
and and then they say that now we have even less uh, fewer water sources to drink from because uh, some of the pigs were dying close to the water and so we wouldn't drink from the water. Mm. And as I checked with them, that, oh yeah, I, I guess it must be African swine fever because of that red uh, uh, rashes or some things, symptoms on, on the belly and stuff. And so, so yeah, it is there. And, and then it's also very worrying how and uh, all our pigs, right, wild pigs uh, or, or, or the domestic pigs, they are all susceptible to uh, the African swine fever. So I think so far we haven't, or at least I haven't really seen uh, like a systemic research on the impact of African swine fever on our uh, wild pigs, you know, either in East Malaysia uh, or here in, in the peninsula. So those are all... Um, yeah, those are all concerning things for the ecosystem. Like, if not, you know, and definitely for our food supply. Yeah. Mm. yeah, so I just want to say something, just going back to the food supply thing. Uh, I, I also did another story on, on actually commercial pigs in Malaysia. And uh, this is basically because pig farms are traditionally very well known for polluting uh, rivers. In fact, the Department of Environment has said that uh, that uh, the pig farms are actually the second largest source of river pollution in the country. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's something that interested me. And so I, this is another uh, set of stories that I had done as well. And uh, then again, coming back to food supply right now with ASF sort of raging through, it's hit seven states in Malaysia already, including in peninsular Malaysia, yeah. right? Yeah. And the only way to cull it, there's no cure for it, is to basically cull uh, entire farms. So what's this going to do to food supply? Mm -hmm. um, again, back to some statistics, uh, meat prices have risen by 7.1%. So it's all around the 7% range, right? And uh, prices of pork have gone up nine times this year, right? So um, so you, you, you have ASF happening, then you have the river pollution happening. Uh, at the same time, as Yahua had mentioned, the Ukraine war having uh, caused havoc in terms of supply chains and having to import, I think, 90% of uh, feed for pigs is imported, right? So when the prices go up, unstable government, ringgit has just not been doing well. So you've got a, a whole series of things coming out of COVID lockdowns and all the rest of it. So um, then you have a concerted effort to try and do something about pig farming and river pollution. So in Penang, it's the first state to mandate the modernization of pig farming. Farms. Now, pig farms have been around in Penang for a long time. They were like new villages, you know, during the uh, during the emergency in the 1960s. So there were traditional farms open. Everything used to go in the river and stuff like that. But actually, in 2001, there were regulations to say it was that all pig farms had to treat their wastewater before it was going into the river, okay. right? Okay. Unfortunately, over time, people get slack. Uh, enforcement gets slack. And then you have rising costs. Uh, apparently, about five to seven years ago, profits for, for pigs um, started going down. So um, then people start thinking, okay, wastewater treatment systems are expensive to build and to maintain. So why don't I jury to re, you know, release some of it? Then you have the river pollution problem starting again. Mm -hmm. um, but okay, you mandate now, you mandate modernization of farms um, in order to preserve the rivers. But it costs money and these farmers can't get loans. And the cost, when, when I um, sort of asked around, the cost is very high. Each pig farm has about four to six uh, sort of buildings, right, for, for the pigs. And um, each building costs about uh, one million wow. to build. Okay. Where's that money going to come from? So yeah. what you're seeing also is a shift from traditional small farmers to bigger and bigger industrial farms. Now, are those going to come with another set of problems? And the other issue is with river pollution is it's very complex. Um, the sources could be from anywhere. Mm -hmm. I followed uh, rivers that came from pig farms all the way down to the sea in Penang, right? 
And it went through all palm estates. It went through factories. It went through villages with, I don't know whether there were proper sewage systems or not, you know. So um, will this then solve the, the river, river uh, pollution problems? So uh, remind me, you know, when they mandated that, right, that the modernization of pig farms, did they hold any consultation with these uh, pig farmers? Yes, they did. Uh, they, they actually did quite a number of consultations. Uh, so we spoke to pig farmers as well, uh, pig farm association leaders. And I, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult. On the one hand, you have, you know, the excuse that, oh, they are not very highly educated. The pig farmers, I mean, are not very highly educated or these things just don't matter to them. You know, it's business as usual. And at the end of the day, everything is to do with profits. Uh, but th th there was definitely uh, a lot of, I think, pushing uh, education from some of the committed pig farmers themselves. Now, there's a, uh, I think probably the best run pig farm in Malaysia, that's in Sarawak. My goodness, their biosecurity um, measures are incredible. And I talked to two young farmers. I mean, the next generation of farmers, maybe second, third generation of farmers, are a completely different breed. Mm. They've, you know, they're highly educated. They are totally aware of the cost of environmental pollution. They're going to lose money if they continue polluting uh, the areas. Plus, they are ethical as well, you know. So, you, it's hard to say whether these are the majority or the minority, but together with legislation, increase in awareness and, uh, you know, uh, uh, education as well, um, the hope is that they will clean up. But again, which direction are we going into? Large industrial farms? Seems to be that way, though, doesn't it? All right. Uh, so, you know, to catch that, se I mean, to read that series, I think you need to, which I love this, this hashtag, more than meets the eye, meets being, of course, M-E-A-T-S, the eye. We always love our puns on this show. Um, let's just go for a quick break, guys. When we come back, let's talk about two other different uh, huge um, series that you guys did on Makaranga. I'm speaking today to Lau Yao Hua and Wong Siu Lin. They are both co-founders of environmental journalism portal Makaranga. We're doing a wrap-up of some of the top stories that they covered on Makaranga from 2022. We'll have more after this quick break. You're listening to Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. It is our last show for the year and I have with me the lovely Wong Siu Lin and Lau Yao Hua, the co-founders of environmental journalism portal Makaranga. So usually at this time of the month, we uh, cover the top news, uh, top environmental news from all over the world, but all over Malaysia and the world. But today we're focusing on uh, some of the top stories that Makaranga covered uh, in 2022, you know, all related to things that are concerning to us, of course, food security. Uh, we spoke about uh, African swine fever. Uh, we spoke about farming uh, before the break, you know, and some of the stories that uh, I think Siulin uh, in particular covered. But now we want to talk a little bit about um, forest and corals. So, Yaohua, you did a whole series, well, you did uh, a story, if, if I'm correct, on, uh, well, Makaranga did a story on um, Malaysian coral reefs, right? I mean, the name of that was Now or Never for Malaysian Coral Reefs. Uh, you spoke to marine ecologists, um, you know, about the protection, the current threats. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that. Right, yeah, thanks, Juliet. Um, so before I start on the coral <laughs> coral stories, I okay, I need to make a correction. Just now, uh, before the break, I said that I met with Oran Asli in Kelantan, uh, who found dead pigs. Uh, no, actually, it was in Pahang. Okay, <laughs> so, but yeah, anyway. So yeah, so in in Pahang, not in Kelantan. Got yeah. It. So back onto the 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 corals, which is another very important. Um, the concern and, and issue, uh, environmental issue here in Malaysia and, and worldwide. So yeah, so Makranga did publish uh, a story in June 
uh, this year called Building Arcs for Coral, and that's written by Annabelle Lee. Mm -hmm. um, and then there was, uh, uh, I think, two weeks before that, that we published an opinion piece, what we call a remarks by uh, Sebastian Serede, also another marine biologist, and he's with the uh, NGO called Coral Coup. Yeah. So I, I did not write any of this. Oh, sorry, I, my I, bad, I, my bad. Yeah, I yeah, realized I, that. I <laughs> sorry. But yeah, so, so you know, the, I, I think the, the concern here is that uh, global warming, of course, hits up the sea, and a warmer sea is not great for corals. Mm -hmm. you know, it causes them to stress and then they bleach, they push out the uh, symbiotic algae that they have inside their uh, bodies and you know, which makes food for them. So once they push these uh, very essential partners out, then and if bleaching continues, it's in you know the the, 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 the warmer seas continue to, to to remain hot, then they are so stressed and they starve and then they die, the corals, right? And we have already seen uh, effects of that, of course, in the Australian Great Barrier Rifts. And, but even here in Malaysia, which is, uh, you know, Malaysia has some of the world's um, most biodiverse coral reefs, you know, what we call the coral triangle. Mm -hmm. uh, so Malaysia is part of that. Uh, something that we can be very proud of. I think, you know, the diversity there is... Um, I think close to 900 species of fish live in Malaysia's coral reef. So that's, you know, that, that's a real, that's a real uh, heritage there that we, we need to protect. But yeah, so bleaching uh, has been witnessed in Malaysia in increasingly frequent bouts. So when we talk about global mass bleaching, you know, that's, these are big uh, alarming events worldwide and you know, when we started recording them, it was in 1998 and then 12 years later in 2010. But then the next one came just six years later in 2016 mm -hmm. and Malaysia was affected. But even local events, you know, not a global event, but local events in Malaysia, uh, we have seen it happen in 2012, 2014, 17, 19 and 20. So you see, it's, it's, it's just very frequent. And... Oh, actually, the, the picture is really grim. So we're going to end our year <laughs> on a very grim picture. So the UN Keep experts, it real, okay? Keep it real. Yeah, so, the, so the UN experts on the IPCC, right, the Intergovernmental uh, Panel on Climate Change, they, they, they warned that if we keep to 1.5 Celsius rise in uh, the, the global temperature, you know, global warming, you know, we might see up to 90% of the tropical corals date by 2030. And already uh, out of the COP lately, there are talks, uh, more and more talks that this 1.5 Celsius target is really impossible now and we are actually going to hit higher than 1.5%, right? Despite our, our, our well, quote-unquote best, best efforts. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so... So in our two pieces, you know, one is a reported story, one is a opinion piece by, uh, you know, an expert in the field. They both uh, really highlighted the importance of coral reefs for our environmental and food security. You know, uh, a lot of our fisheries, a lot of our, our seafood have spent some part of their life cycle in coral reefs, of course. And then um, coral reefs is important for protecting the coast, uh, for you know, just the livelihoods of uh, fishermen and then also, of course, uh, any seafood that you take and, and all of that. Mm. And so 
the marine biologist that we spoke to, Annabelle, uh, spoke to, including Afendi Yang Amri, I think whom I think you also spoke to on, on Earth Matters from University of Malaya, and then uh, James Tan Chun Hong from uh, University of Malaysia, Trangganu. Now, they both recognize that uh, climate change is the biggest threat to our corals and to corals worldwide. But that's not, uh, you know, but, but some others like officers from the uh, government's uh, Marine Park and Marine Resources Management Division, they say that yes, climate change is a threat, but it's not the biggest threat. In fact, they feel that uh, their, data, their observations in the field show that corals can bounce back. Of course, corals, just like forests, are resilient and they can bounce back. Rather, the officers feel that it's the pollution on the local scale or, you know, human physical disturbing, you know, breaking off corals, you know, stepping on corals, like that's the bigger threat to corals. Um, you know, some of the experts that we speak to don't, you know, they don't agree on that. Mm. But regardless, I think it could be like a short-term, long-term, kind of a local scale, bigger scale kind of, a, you know, different perspectives on the threat. But regardless, they're all threats, right? Yeah. And climate change is definitely harder to stop or reverse than local pollution, uh, which, you know, like something like what Sulin just said is not right. Pollution coming from farms, from from plantations, from factories. And yeah, so regardless, um, Annabelle wrote a very good story, which was actually in collaboration with a Commonwealth magazine uh, in Taiwan um, on how, you know, to save our corals. Uh, one thing, of course, you do is to protect what remains. But uh, when global well, sorry, when global warming comes, right, it's, it's hard to say which pocket you can save or, or protect from the warming seas, probably not any. Mm. So you have to be able to, I guess, replant or rehabilitate the corals. And that is a bit like tree planting, right? You yeah. know, it is destroyed or damaged and then you try to plant it back. Um, probably impossible to restore it to its original condition, but we try to do what we can but the problem is that apparently um, in Malaysia, uh, given our conditions, uh, our scientists actually do not have a consensus on which are the best corals to grow, in what conditions to grow them and how to grow them. So, it's, so there are actually different ways of growing them, right? You do it vertically, horizontally, put a shade over them, don't put a shade over them, nail them to... Uh, a, a rock or whatever substrate that you want to do it. So there are many different ways to, to, to experiment. And there is no standard, uh, there's no agreement on what is the most effective way. And I think that is in many ways hampering our efforts. Um, and yeah, the people that we spoke to um, for the stories and, and also in the opinion piece, make it quite clear that there is poor coordination mm. nationwide on, on this very important effort. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think I remember reading that article and uh, Effendi saying that, you know, he was never a fan of these sort of uh, restorations because, you know, it's sort of like, oh, okay, that means we can, you know, destroy, do the reclamation, do whatever, and then, haha, let's go and rehabilitate. But as you said, there's no sort of consensus on how to do it. There's no sort of scientific uh, yeah, uh, agreement, right, on, on the best way to do this, uh, whether it will work in the long term. Um, so, of course, you know, the best thing to do is to preserve what we have, right? <laughs> Yeah, preserve what we have, uh, but no, but yeah, but, but replanting is probably uh, uh, necessary and crucial. Um, I would just like to add one more, like a key point uh, before we, we, we move on to the next one is that um, Sebastian Saraday, he did, you know, he gave a list of recommendations of what must be done mm. uh, to really save our corals and all the, you know, ecosystem functions and livelihood that come with that is to 
uh, one, one, one very important one that he said is to invest more in coral reef management and research. Mm. So, you know, he pulled out data that says that, you know, according to the Department of Fisheries, right, uh, we have 42 marine parks in Malaysia and just six of those contributed about 8.7 billion a year to our economic activity. Yeah. Okay, so six of those uh, contributed, you know, let's say, 9 billion a year to our economic activity. And how much have we spent on coral reef research and management? Just 1,000 of that, 8 million. Hmm. So it's a bit like, you know, I have this uh, fancy, very nice hotel, right? And then there is a rust coming and, you know, uh, the you know, rust is eating into all my pipes and I don't really care. Uh, I'm only spending the minimal I need. And it's kind of it's kind of silly to think of it. So I guess we really need to invest more and coordinate mm-hmm. all the uh, rehabilitation research and work. Yeah. Uh, Siulin, you wanted to say something? Yeah, I, I, well, just to pick up on both Yohua, what Yohua and you said just now, you mentioned reclamation. You know, that's kind of like the big trendy thing to do now, reclamation of coastal areas. And that's actually worrying for, for a lot of different people uh, from fishers, traditional livelihoods, again, just like the farmers, you know, are we looking after our fishers? Uh, also lost would be traditions, you know, related to fishing and definitely the ecosystems such as coastal ecosystems, such as coral reefs, as well as mangroves, uh, you know, sandy beaches where migratory birds, are, you know, are losing sandy beaches, uh, uh, mudflats all over the world. And, you know, Malaysia is one of the very lucky few countries where you have a lot of, lots of migratory birds landing in different spots, yeah. So uh, I think it's actually imperative to first do no harm. I think like sort of figure out, I think uh, Afendi and a few other scientists have also figured out that there are some very, for example, very resilient corals in uh, Negri Sembilan, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, they seem, I mean, Salat Laka is like one of the most polluted um, channels in the world, you know, there's loads of shipping, so one of the biggest, if not the biggest shipping, um, you know, sort of super corridor in in, in the world, and, um, and, and the corals are thriving there. So there's something special about them. So let's not try and, like, mess them up some more. Uh, they found, they think that it's possible that they are Malac- the corals of Malacca, there are coasts, uh, there are sort of island corals of Malacca, might have the same characteristics to be able to survive. You know, and you, we know that Malacca has a lot of huge plans for reclamations. So first, do no harm. Well, just a, a shout out for something that we're going to do. We're going to be looking at a, a few of these big uh, ocean um, issues next year. So look out okay. for those. Yeah. For sure. I can't wait to hear about that. Um, uh, but I guess, you know, one last topic before I let the both of you go. This is something Yahua uh, came on to do a show with me uh, not too long ago. This was Ladang Hutan, a look at forest plantation projects in Peninsula Malaysia. I must I must tell you, Yahua, the feedback I got from that show. We've never heard Yahua so angry before. Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah. And, so, so what was the feedback? The feedback was that lah. Never, never. No, no, no. Like, wow. Okay, really, this was great. No, it was great radio. Okay, and it was a great topic as well. Again, as I mentioned, as I spoke, said to you in during the interview, something that you know, if you guys weren't doing the research on it, it wouldn't be out there. So, of course, you know, that looked at um, uh, there was four articles, right? Uh, and that investigated forest plantations in Peninsula Malaysia, and you know, your research sort of revealed that these forest plantations have actually incurred high costs. You know, not delivered on promises and actually emerged as one of the top drivers of forest cover loss. Can you remind us about that? Yeah, uh, I'll try to keep it brief. I don't I don't think I have all the anger left. Oh, come on, <laughs> come on. I was reminding you for a reason. Okay. I was trying to egg you on there. All right. So, yeah. So, you know, Ladang Hussan of Forest Plantation should definitely be um, a 
well, within sight of every person who cares about forest use in Malaysia, and hopefully the new government really looks into it. Um, so these are, you know, basically tree farms of a single species. Uh, you know, they plant uh, a fast growing tree, which they can then chop and harvest for timber in about seven to 15 years. That's the plan. And planted forests uh, are still considered forest, uh, according to the Food and Agriculture Organization's definition and also our government's definition. Here we call them ladang hutan, which means it's ladang first, uh, a hutan, a ladang that is a hutan. Uh, it's a bit better than the Indonesian, which actually call them hutan first. <laughs> uh, anyway, so the, the, the problem with forest plantations, uh, well, worldwide, people do forest plantations, right? Uh, from Vietnam to Japan to to, to Germany. Um, but I guess the problem here in in in, in the tropics in Malaysia is that uh, we clear the natural uh, forest to plant uh, a single species of trees, right? In Peninsular Malaysia, we found that all forest plantations here in Peninsula, uh, about one hundred and twenty thousand hectares of them, were all established within forest reserves, right? And that's perfectly legal. And the data is actually easily available out there. And those, these 120,000 are the established and planted ones that is reported uh, in the annual reports. But the area that has been cleared, but not replanted, could be twice or three times of that, right? And, and, and if you go through the forestry data, you, you pick that up. So, so this is the problem, right? First, we are clearing natural forest uh, to replant a single species of trees. Okay, fine, you do it in forest reserve. Okay, and then I think worse off is that you clear it, but then you didn't replant it. You know, we are seeing a lot of this kind of uh, approach, and the developers themselves know it. I mean, within their their the industry, you know, people I spoke to, they say that yeah, some among them were only going for the the logs, the timber of the natural forest, and you know either. You know, they didn't intend to replant or they intended to, but then it became a lot more difficult, right? You know, cutting is easy, replanting is not. And so then they abandoned it. Even the Kelantan uh, forestry director, you know, told us that, yeah, it, it is a problem. They noticed it and then they have started cancelling the licenses of uh, the developers who did not replant after three years. And uh, they are trying, or at least that was a year ago, to update their data and verify their data on the books with that in the field. So that's a problem. And Kelantan is worth mentioning because they, I think up to a year ago, they have the most uh, forest plantation, but Pahang is probably, uh, is a close second and might have even caught up with them uh, this year itself. So yeah, so, so, you know, having cleared the natural forest and having lost all the biodiversity and the ecological service there uh, given by the natural forest, what do we get in return? Timber? Apparently not, uh, because the developers and the regulators themselves have, cannot give a guarantee when we'll get the timber, what kind of timber, how much we can get. So just all around lots of problems. Uh, the government, uh, in fact, I cannot for the life of me, remember which government it was that actually uh, uh, implemented this moratorium. Just I think it was just uh, earlier this year or last year, implemented a moratorium on new forest plantations for the next 15 years. So no, no more issuance of forest plantation licenses for the next 15 years in Peninsula. Mm. But a good number, probably almost all, has already been licensed out so uh, we, we probably still see 
more clearing for forest plantations. Yeah, and, and so and, and the problems of forest plantations uh, have, I think, already manifested itself. For example, um, the repeated floodings uh, in Kampong Iboy, uh, the Gunung Inas area in Kedah, uh, really, re- really pitiful people, uh, you know, living in there. It's, you know, as I've said before, it's a really nice valley surrounded by hills. But then the hills have much of it has been cleared for a uh, 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 forest plantation. Uh, I think starting 2013, but that didn't jadi. You know, it, it didn't become a forest plantation. It was cleared for sure, but it didn't become a forest plantation. And then now uh, parts of it is being converted into a durian plantation. So of course, with all the hillsides all cleared, you know, then there was this all this. Um, I can't remember the Malay name now. Banjir pouring, you know, these rocks and debris, muds and all flowing down from the hill. Yeah, experts say it's due to heavy rains, of course, but also exacerbated by um, this cleared, uh, huge clearing in the forest uphill. So, yeah, you know, having forest plantation and then still considering them as forest, not really knowing that it has been cleared, at least not on paper, yeah. really would blindside us to forest loss and then potential disasters that happen. Mm-hmm. I just want to add that, you know, uh, you, you, know, you mentioned the moratorium, right? That's actually yeah. federally dictated, right? Federal yeah. government, right? Yeah. yeah. Now, now we all know that land is under states. Uh, we also know that we have several state elections coming up. So I think, you know, uh, choose your state governments wisely if forest matters are important to you. Uh, the hope really is that we have good alternatives to choose from, you know, people who, for whom these these things matter and who will make better decisions in terms of forest land use. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good point. Good point on that. So it should all be looking, look upon, you know, from the sustainable kind of angle. So never do we ever say that, you know, forest plantation is just bad in itself. Uh, but what are we giving up, you know, in return for something that has even really given us any guarantee of uh, timber harvest? Mm-hmm. And you know something that you said about the uh, landslides or, or the, the the banjir that you were talking about. Right? I mean, we are of course coming at the heels of a really really tragic uh, landslide over in Batangkali. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying that that's linked, but you know, we have seen you know the devastation. There was a lot of land clearing uh, where that area happened, where the landslide happened, right? So. Yeah, just things to think about, you know, when you're holding your state government accountable, uh, when you're thinking about who to vote in next. Uh, I don't know, especially here in Selangor, you know, we've not had a very good track record uh, for many, many projects. So, yeah, think about these are some of the things I think we need to think about. Thanks for bringing up that point, Sulin. Yeah, so talking about forest loss, you know, the Batangkali uh, case, right? And then, of course, since the Batangkali's uh, disaster, we have seen on social media uh, the NGO Rimba Disclosure Project coming out, showing that, you know, all these uh, developmental plans, you know, that all the areas uh, around there have been uh, earmarked for commercial development, right? Yeah. And so ecological sensitive areas, that kind of thing. So, and, and then there was some debate, right, from both from the government side, you know, denying that. And, and I would like to point out that there is a lot of ambiguity and unknown when it comes to uh, forest use, land area, developmental plans and projects. You know, the, the data is really just all over the place. And uh, if you'd like to know more, so I think Makranga has been, <laughs> we have spent many months poring over the data and identifying some of the gaps. So uh, so look forward to our, I guess, our stories in the next uh, two months. Yeah. Okay. All right. Does that have a, a name yet, a working title yet that we can 
No, not yet. Uh, not there yet. Not, not there, there yet. yet. Okay, sorry, sorry to put pressure. Okay, but we will definitely, you know, be in touch and we will definitely cover that uh, Not uh, also on Earth Matters. Um, thank you both of you so much, uh, you know, for all your uh, contributions throughout the year. I guess for me, you know, we will continue doing our uh, monthly wrap-up, I hope. Again, I'm putting you on the spot. Say yes, say yes, guys. And, uh, you know, on Earth yes, Matters... Yes. <laughs> And on Earth Matters, we'll continue with our series. Um, we started a few series uh, in 2022. There's No Planet B, so that was a focus on the climate crisis. Uh, the This is my favourite. It's called Plastic Soup. Uh, so that's a focus on plastic pollution. And of course, uh, ABCs of biodiversity. So that was focusing on the biodiversity loss. So what I think were the three sort of like the triple threats in that sense uh, of our environmental issues. So we'll continue with those series, especially. but of course, you know, covering all the other news, uh, environmental related news that comes our way. Very nice, man. Very nice. Yes. Keep it up. Thank you. Thank you. And you too, guys. Uh, thank you again for all your good work. And uh, we'll be back in January, of course, uh, with another roundup for 2023. Thank you again to Lao Yahua and Wong Siu Lin, both journalists and founders of the environmental journalism portal Makaranga. Just head to makaranga.org to read all those articles that they're doing. Uh, everything is there. And if you miss any part of our conversation today, just download the podcast at bfm.my slash earth, or you can find it on the BFM app. This has been Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.